0: We just got the numbers. The U.S. has 6.6 million jobless claims this week. That's double the previous week. We have the White House in this projection that they made a couple days ago. They had a briefing where they projected that between 100,000 and 240,000 U.S. citizens will die to the coronavirus. That's their projection. I'm going to be sharing some thoughts on that. We have new residential investment. This is one of my holdings. It's a mortgage rate. They slashed their dividend by 90%. So, I'll be explaining why I'm going to continue to hold this company despite the dividend cut. Now, another thing that happened just in the past day was M1 Finance redesigned the look of their brokerage. We've been staring at the old version for so long that it looks a little bit different to move over to this one. But overall, I I like it. I don't know what your guys' opinion is. I'm interested to see what everybody thinks of it, but I think it looks pretty clear. I like the color scheme. It's laid out in a pretty straightforward way. They also updated the mobile app. So if you haven't updated that in a while, download the new mobile app. I think it runs substantially smoother. So it's a much better, smoother app and they even have a dark version on it. So if you want to stay up late in the night looking at your portfolio, dreaming about the dividends that you're going to receive, you can do that as well. Now we can take a look at the redesign here for a minute. I really do think it's it runs mostly the same. So if I go in and click into a sector here, it has some cool things. So they have one thing called value drift. This shows you whether this slice is under its target allocation or over it i think they used to have this before but it was named something different so they've changed around the layout of a couple things they obviously changed the looks of a lot of things overall i think it's mostly the same information the functionality is pretty identical to what it was before i think they just tried to modernize the look a little bit personally i think this looks pretty good i like it over the previous version So the web version looks nice, but I think the mobile version functions substantially better than the old version. So if you haven't downloaded the new mobile app, I would update it and check it out because it runs really smoothly, has a lot of cool animations when you're going through it, and I think it looks a lot better as well. Now, like I said, we have a lot of news to talk about. The first thing is the weekly jobless claims. 6.6 million people filed for unemployment in the past week. That's double than the previous week. These are really big numbers. The question is, what are investors expectations? I think a lot of them are already expecting for massive unemployment. That's something that's already pretty much priced in at this point. People shouldn't be shocked by the fact that millions of people are unemployed when the government has made it very clear, they're shutting down large segments of the economy, that people are staying home. And I don't think investors were surprised by this. If I go to the market and see where it's trading at, It's up one and a half percent. The Dow Jones is up over 200 points. So this is something where you have to ask yourself how much of this is already priced in. I think unemployment, that whole issue is already priced into the market, the big unemployment numbers. If they were substantially more than what the estimates would be, maybe that would cause the market to go down a little bit. But I don't think unemployment is the central issue people are focusing on. They're focusing on the virus. That's the thing that people are still uncertain about. The timeline of it, how long it will keep spreading when we'll get to the point where we flatten the curve, I think that's where investors are anxious. Unemployment is something that we know about. We have means of taking care of people that are unemployed for the time being. I just don't think it's that big of an unknown. Like I said, the virus is a thing that I think investors are paying most attention to. Now, I was watching this briefing live when they were doing it. They put up this graphic and it contrasted these two lines, these two curves, the 100,000 to 240,000 deaths. That's with mitigation. That's with us doing everything that we currently are. That's what they're projecting, with our best type of mitigation and treatment and everything that we're doing. They also projected it without any type of intervention. And with that, they say it would be between one and a half to 2.2 million deaths. So I'm not sure the reason they did this. I think the reason they contrasted these two numbers is to say that we're not being quarantined in vain. Our efforts in doing this, in destroying parts of the economy, in making people lose their incomes and their jobs, all these type of problems that it's causing right now, at least it's avoiding this. I think that's what they're trying to say. Now, regardless, either way, this caused the market to go down about 4% the next day. So this type of news with the coronavirus, if we hear anything that's worse than what we already know about it, I think it will drive the market down. That is something that investors are very much paying attention to. Now, of course, none of this news is positive, having millions of people unemployed, lots of people in financially difficult positions right now, and on the conservative projection, the coronavirus only killing 100,000 people, this is not positive news. This has caused the market to go down, and that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about investing during this bear market, during this downturn, and some things that I'm keeping in mind while I'm doing this. The first thing that we'll go over is investing when you're in the red overall. A lot of people that are watching this have started investing within the past two years, and you're likely in the red. The majority of people that invested in the past two years, unless you picked some very specific companies and had a very concentrated portfolio, you're most likely in the red because the market overall is trading below where it was two years ago. Now, with that, it can be very discouraging. You log into your brokerage, you see how much money you're losing, how much money that you're in the red every single day, and that can be pretty discouraging after a while. So I want to mention a couple things to keep in mind if you're in this position. First of all, the return percentage here. This is actually a controversial thing to talk about. It causes a a lot of people to argue over it. Different brokerages represent returns in different ways. M1 Finance uses what is called money-weighted return. That's the way that they calculate it. That's the way that they come up with this percentage. This is not the same as Robinhood. Robinhood uses time-weighted return. If you were to plug in these same numbers into Robinhood, the percentage would be completely different. In fact, you could look at it. Right here, we have the time-weighted return of negative 15.6%. So down 15% time-weighted is quite a bit different than being down 32% money-weighted. Right now, my portfolio is down 15.6% time-weighted return. The Dow Jones is down 27% from its all-time highs. So don't get too confused about the money-weighted return that M1 Finance uses. It can make your portfolio seem a lot more volatile than it is. The second thing that I look at is perspective on what you're buying. If I look at this number here, it's easy to think that this is just cash. What this is, even though it has a dollar symbol next to it, it's not cash. It's the representation of the estimated value of your portfolio. If I was to hit sell on everything, This is the estimation of how much money I would get. This is companies being traded on an exchange. There's a lot of buyers and sellers, so the estimation is pretty accurate, but it is just an estimation of the overall value of my portfolio. It changes every minute of the day when the market's open. It can go up or down a couple thousand as buyers and sellers make their decisions. What I choose to look at is not so much the exact value it's trading at currently, but more the companies I own and their future potential. Are they going to live through the coronavirus? Will they be more valuable and more profitable of companies in 5 to 10 years than they are right now? I've given this example before, but let me go ahead and punch in my home address to Zillow. It brings up my Zestimate. And my current value of my home, according to Zillow, is $463,000. In the last 30 days, it's gone up $20,000 in value. That's the paper value of it. That's an estimation from Zillow of how much my home is currently trading at. I look at this in a very similar way to the stocks that I'm buying. I wanted to buy my home for the best deal possible. The price I paid for it was $372,000. So I'm up almost $100,000 on it. With stocks, I try to buy them for the best deal possible. But in either case, if my home went down in value, I still own my home. As long as I plan on living in it for 5 to 10 years, that's not really an issue if it goes down in value for a while. If it goes down in value for a couple of years but I plan on living in it for 10, that's not a really big issue. I look at it the same way with these stocks. I don't think that they'll be down in value for five to 10 years. I think they'll be down in value for a couple years, maybe, for a while. I don't know how long the recovery will be, but I expect that at some point there will be a recovery. The third thing, dividends take time. The strategy is a long timeline strategy. This isn't a short-term strategy. When you do dividend investing, there's a couple important things that you look at with different companies. Not only do you have to have a solid company that has a good product line, a good moat, it has a continual growth path, all that good stuff. But just with the numbers, you look at the dividend yield. If you purchase companies like AT&T right now, they have a very high dividend yield. You don't earn that right when you purchase it. That dividend yield, the money that you get paid out, it gets paid out in the future. AT&T pays a dividend once every three months. So if you invest in it today, you're going to have to wait until April 8th to even earn the dividend, that's when you cross through the ex dividend date. And then you're gonna to have to wait from there till May 1st to actually be paid the dividend. So again, you might purchase the company today with these new shares, and then you have to wait until May 1st before you actually receive your first dividend from that company. That's an almost two month period. I can actually illustrate this on my monthly dividend graph. This is where I keep track of how much money I earned in dividends every single month. Well, the interesting thing is I started investing a little bit before January of 2018, yet I earned no dividends in January and I earned no dividends in February, even though I was buying dividend companies. That's because again, you have to cross through that ex-dividend date. You have to cross through that payout date. Once you get to the payout date, that can be two months after you bought the shares or even longer than that. So there is a lagging effect from when you buy these shares than when you get a big part of their return. A big part of these companies returns are the dividends they pay and you have to hold them for a certain amount of time to be able to earn that. Now, last month I earned $261 in dividends. That's a pretty good month, but I also did a lot of purchases last month. So those purchases of those new shares, I'll start to see the results of those in a couple months. It'll take time, but that's the type of thing that you have to keep in mind. This is a long-term strategy. Dividends are not a short-term investment strategy. The longer you do it, the more likely you are to make money. Another way to illustrate how important dividends are to the total return is to look at this example here. This is Realty Income Corp. And I have two different graphs here. One of them is how much money you would make with $10,000 invested in this company since 1995 with dividends reinvested and without dividends reinvested. The one without dividends reinvested is $111,000. That's still a really good return. Turning $10,000 into $111, that's pretty good. But then you look at it with dividends reinvested, and it's $301,000. That's the difference. You earn about two thirds more with the dividends reinvested. So when you're looking at your companies, if you just purchase them within a couple months, give it time for those returns to work out. If they're solid companies that can continue to pay dividends in the future, you should work your way into the green over time, and the dividends they pay makes out to be a substantial part of their total return. The fourth thing that I would mention to keep in mind during this downturn, it can be very frightening. All the news is unique. We haven't had a pandemic for a very long time. Not since I've been alive, but this is something that it feels very unique. You feel like this has never happened before. We have the government shutting down large segments of the economy. We have a virus spreading around. This is something that is pretty unique. But what's not unique is a downturn. These type of bear markets happen frequently throughout the whole history of the S&P 500. In 2000, we have the dot-com bubble. In 2007 and 2008, we had the financial crisis. We had people taking on loans for homes that couldn't afford them. So there's lots of times where we have been in other uncertain times. This is a pattern that the market has followed. It's a cycle that it's followed. You can see they outline it here that people are positive and confident. They're employed. They're having fun investing, they're seeing the green returns, and then some bad event happens. There's some bubble like in real estate or the big tech companies that were being priced way too high, or we have a pandemic that shuts down the economy in a way that we haven't experienced before. All of these are very unique by themselves, but if you look at the bigger picture, I think it explains it a little better, that you should expect downturns if you're investing in businesses. They don't only go up all the time. That's not how businesses work. There's equity risk premium, pretty much saying that the reason that investors are willing to take on the risks that come along with owning a business is because of the potential reward of them. Owning a business has a far greater potential reward than most other types of investments. If you look at the S&P 500 and the historical graph of it, it has given better returns than pretty much every other investment vehicle. So This is a great way to have good returns over a long period of time, but the price of admission are these volatile times. This is the price you pay if you want to be a business owner. You have to be willing to go through these downturns. If you can't stomach the downturns, if you sell out at the very bottom of these downturns, if you lose a lot of money that way, this might not be the best way to invest for you. This is for people that can stay invested during the downturns that don't have emotions take over. The amount of risk is connected with the historically good returns. You can't disconnect them from each other. If you wanna have the good returns of the business, you need to be willing to go through these uncertain times. The fifth thing that I'll mention is dividends being cut during a downturn. There are some downturns where it doesn't really affect companies that much. It's more of, of trading happening, people are selling out of companies, but overall, they're still profitable, they're still functioning like normal. This is not one of those downturns this is definitely affecting companies. There's companies like Simon Property that have their doors closed. So with that, we're going to have companies that are normally well-established businesses that aren't really operating at full capacity, and we're going to see dividend cuts. We have here from Barron's, the S&P 500 dividends will fall 25% this year, analysts say. It says, declared dividends among the S&P 500 companies increased by 9% in the first quarter, But we expect a wave of dividend suspensions, cuts, and eliminations will result in dividends declining by 38% during the next nine months. As a result, the dividends paid out this year will end up being 25% below last year's level, Goldman says. So Goldman is saying that the S&P 500 dividend payments will fall 25% this year. That's what their estimate is. We don't know how that's really going to turn out, but it sounds about right. We have in 2008 and 2009, just for comparison, dividend payments fell 23%. They're saying that this recession is going to hit dividends harder than the previous one. That's how difficult this one's going to be. There's a couple reasons why a lot of companies that pay dividends are going to receive bailouts. And part of what the government stipulates is if you receive government money, this type of aid, you can't pay dividends during the loan and you can't pay dividends for a year afterwards. So all these big dividend paying companies that are receiving bailouts are no longer going to be big dividend paying companies. They're going to be just big companies. I have out of my portfolio two different companies that have either cut or suspended their dividend. One of them was Boeing, which I sold. I did not sell that company only because it cut its dividend. That was part of the reasoning, but I sold Boeing because I think it just has so many internal problems, so many things to work out that will take, I honestly think, years before they get things back together, so... There's a lot of issues with that company. I didn't really want to go down that path any longer. Luckily, I owned a very small amount of it. But the other company that just recently announced that it was lowering its dividend is New Residential Investment. This is a 90% decrease. They used to have a 50 cent dividend. If I go into my real estate here, New Residential, I've talked about this company before. There's a reason that I only own one mortgage rate. It's because they're extremely high risk. They are one of the most high risk companies. Out of all the companies I own in my portfolio, this is one of the ones that could go out of business. One of the ones I really think has that much leverage and that much risk. So this is a very high risk company. With it, you can make a lot of money in good times. So with that risk, there is a, a potential high reward with it. But as we can see over the past couple of months, when the economy tanks, these mortgage REITs really suffer. Now, I'm not selling this company based off the dividend cut. This is something that should be somewhat expected with mortgage REITs. They're not dividend growth companies. They pay an extremely high yield, but it's an unsafe yield. They can cut it at any time if their business model struggles. If we have events like this happen where the economy goes into a recession on top of interest rates plummeting, that affects companies like mortgage rates very drastically. We can take a look at the history of NLY, their dividend history, and look at it. It's like a roller coaster. It goes down when the business is hurting. It goes up a lot when the business is doing well. This is another mortgage read. This is the type of history you see with mortgage reads. So this company cutting its dividend, it's not that surprising. It was eventually going to happen during this downturn. The question is whether they can make it out of this downturn. If they can stay in business, there's still a lot of upside with the company, but there's always a chance the recession will run deeper and longer than expected, which could cause companies like NRZ to go down even further. Overall, I think that this portfolio has done a good job in keeping the income stream, I've invested in companies that so far have continued to pay their dividends. We've had two dividend cuts, one from Boeing and one from NRZ. But looking at how many other dividend companies that I don't own have cut their dividends, I think it's done a decent job so far. We've seen dividend cuts with airliners. We've seen it with cruise lines. We've seen it with hotel chains. We've seen it with a lot of different type of companies. We'll see what happens in the future if we get any dividend suspensions, but so far it's been pretty well. Overall, my portfolio right now, the estimation of how much money it's generating every year is about 3600 bucks. That's how much I'll earn each year in dividends, but that's making the assumption that really nothing changes. That's making the assumption that no company cuts their dividends and that I don't use any money and reinvest it back into my portfolio. I don't make any new deposits. I don't buy anything new. This is just how much money my portfolio is generating yearly right now. So, that's a pretty decent amount of money, but if you look at the actual trend, it's going up pretty drastically. As I continue to reinvest the money that I earn from it and invest new money, I'm going to try to compound this and build it up as fast as possible. So, hopefully I'll get to the point where I'm earning 500 bucks a month plus in dividends every single month. So the goal is the same. Overall, I'm trying to generate that passive income, to build it up as quick as possible. The way that I'm doing that is actually switching out of bonds, which are in the green, and I've made some money with them, and buying companies that I think are at bargain prices right now. That's what I've been doing. So like I said, I've been shifting over $2,000 per week into equities. This I should have probably clarified a little bit more. This is on the assumption We're having big down weeks. If the market continues to fall very rapidly, then I'll sell out of my bonds and buy more equities. If the market's just trading flat, if it's going up, then I'm not going to be selling out of these bonds. So that's conditional on the market going down a lot every week. If I have companies that I think present a very good value, I'm going to sell some treasuries and bonds to buy those companies. I wanted to do one thing before I move into other subjects and show you the companies that I've been buying over the past week. I can go to the activity tab here, filter by trading. And we have my big purchase here, 2,500 bucks. This money, the 2,500 bucks, 2,000 of it came from selling bonds, 500 came from new deposits. So that's the $2,500. I can go through real quick the companies that I picked out on my buy list. I'll go through each one of them. They have different levels of risk. I think that they offer different levels of opportunity. So we have NRZ, I've already talked about this one, probably one of the most high-risk ones in my portfolio. That's why I only bought $100 of it. If it does survive, it could be a really big opportunity. But again, out of the $2,500, I'm only putting $100 in it. So it's not something where I have it as a conviction pick. Then we have JP Morgan. I think it's one of the better ran banks. I think that it's very well capitalized. It can handle the current environment. So I'm buying $100 of it as the price goes down. We have Realty Income Corp, which I've been buying a lot of. I purchased another $200 because it's below what my current cost basis is. So This is a company where Realty Income Corp's top 20 tenants are extremely high-grade tenants. They all have good credit rating. They're all very established businesses that are usually really good during recessions. So this is a company that I feel is very secure. It's one of the better REITs that exists. We also have Aflac, the insurance company. I think it will do fine over the next year. So I bought a hundred bucks of it. We have LTC properties. This is another REIT, but it's a little bit more risky than Realty Income Corp. This one is senior housing. Obviously with the coronavirus, there's the fears surrounding that. A lot of people are scared of senior housing places right now. This one came down a lot in value. So I have been purchasing some of it. It is more risky. It has a smaller market cap. It pays out monthly. And there was a concern they're going to be slashing their dividend because the price of it came down. But they just announced three months of dividends, and it was the same. So they're not lowering their dividend. They're keeping it in line with previous dividends. Then we have Maine, Main Street Capital Corporation. This company is a business development company. I've purchased a lot of it over the past couple weeks. It is one of the riskier companies. It runs somewhat like a venture capitalist, where it goes out and invests in different businesses. So this one comes with a higher level of risk. It is a high-yielding company. I think it's pretty well managed in comparison to other business development companies, but that's another one that I've been purchasing. Comcast is a company that I look at as somewhat of a utility. It's like buying a utility company. Everybody needs to have internet. In some places, like where I live, Comcast is literally the only high-speed option. I have to sign up with Comcast if I want high-speed internet in my home. So I think Comcast is a pretty safe buy. They're a company that has a well-established business. They're a telecom company. They have the well-established internet business. We have streaming and online activities increasing over the past years. So I think there'll be continued demand for internet service providers. Now, they also have their Peacock streaming service. It's a freemium model. I think that that will actually be successful as well. There'll be people that will tune into that, see the free content, and watch the ads for it. Then we have Union Pacific. This is a boring company. It's a railroad company. The industry doesn't change that much. And I think it's one of the more recession-proof businesses. So that's one that I put more money in because it's just a safer buy, in my opinion. We have Microsoft. This is a company that I think continues to impress me. It has a pretty diversified stream of income. It has been competing extremely well against Slack. We have at and which is a company I have been loading up on. I see concerns with it. They have subscribership loss in a lot of parts of their business, but I think they're situated pretty well. They're moving in a good direction. So this is a company that I want to own. It offers over a 7% dividend yield right now. So that's one that I'm going to continue to purchase. We have Store Capital. This is another REIT that's similar to Realty Income Corporation. So both of them are triple net leases, and they own those standalone buildings. They rent out to different businesses. The difference between Realty Income Corp and store capital is realty income corp has drastically higher quality tenants the people that they rent out to are higher caliber companies they're companies that are much more creditworthy store capital has a lot of companies that don't have the same balance sheets they're not as resistant during recessions just plainly they're not as good of tenants they might not be able to pay their bills they have a higher likelihood of going bankrupt so store capital is higher risk than realty income corp in that regard some positive notes on store capital is they have a very low debt load, so their balance sheet is pretty good. Even if some of their tenants do go out of business, they have a very diversified group of tenants. It shouldn't hurt their revenue overall that much. But this company, I don't think, is of the same caliber as Realty Income Corp. And that is why it's gone down in value a lot more. And then the last one, we have Well Tower, which is another senior housing, nursing home, assisted living type of REIT. So they have a lot of different tenants. Some of them are struggling a little bit, These healthcare companies that are taking care of these elderly people, it's expensive for them, especially right now with the coronavirus because they need all this extra equipment, they're taking all this extra precautions, they have to have a lot more people on staff. So this is something that's putting a lot of pressure on these senior assisted living companies. But the question is, is can they survive it? Will Welltower make it to the other side of this when we get the virus under control? My guess is that they most likely will, but there's risk there. So I look at all these companies and I have... Two basic questions. Are any of them going to go out of business? And the other question is, if they aren't going out of business, are they going to be more valuable in five to 10 years, assuming the economy recovers then? Those are my two basic questions. Are the companies going to survive? And if they do, which ones have really good growth path? Which ones are at a good deal right now, assuming they survive? With those two questions, I think that there's a good chance the majority of these will survive the downturn. I think a lot of them will be worth more in 10 years than they are right now. The reason that I'm purchasing multiple ones is because I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see if any of these are going to really struggle. That's why I'm purchasing a lot of them. In that case, the hope is that the ones that do really well, I make more money on them than the ones that struggle. That's really what I'm betting on here. So that's really the most recent trading activity I've done. Okay, I want to get to emails and questions, but I need to mention this little bit of news here first. I got this alert and it says that HBO is offering free access to key series and movies. They have a lot of different series that they're offering for free. We got The Wire, True Blood, Veep, Six Feet Under, Silicon Valley. That's one of my favorites. And then Succession, Barry, and Ballers. This is starting tomorrow, by the way. They also have The Inventor, The Case Against add Inside. I haven't seen that. McMillions. I watched that documentary. I think it's pretty good. It's kind of long, but it's good. And they have movies like Isn't It Romantic, The Lego Movie 2, and Detective Pikachu. I don't know if they're going to ask for credit card and say it's free, but we're going to hold your credit card. Or it's something where you can literally just jump on and start streaming these. But anyway, they say they're offering this tomorrow. And I'm not sponsored by HBO. I'm not getting any money from them. But if they're going to offer free content, I'll let you guys know about it. Because a lot of us are sitting at home wondering what we're going to do. So if we can get some free content, I think that's a good thing. Okay, let's get to some emails and questions. The email address is joseph at show.com. That's joseph at show.com. Brandon says, I'm sure you're aware of all the data. I have several family members within the medical industry, and I'd like to get your input on how this could affect the economic side. One of my family members, epidemiology professors, is predicting a three-plus-month shelter-in-place through June, with a possibility of resurgence in the fall similar to the 1918 Spanish flu. Other suggested guidelines are saying that a shelter-in-place will continue until at least 14 days of no new cases. The chart below shows the peak deaths around April 16th without a full decrease into the end of June and the beginning of July. This is with the assumption of strict adherence to shelter-in-place. With that being said, it seems like the possibility of a shelter-in-place lasting longer and reoccurring in the fall is increasing. I understand the stock market is based on predictions of the future dates and bets on when the economy will bounce back. A prolonged shelter in place could mean a longer closure of business and increased government assistance. If you could share your thoughts, I'd love to hear them. Well, Brandon, this is an interesting question. I actually have talked about this with some people, and I come from the stance where I realize the virus is spreading around. It's causing a lot of deaths. It's spreading pretty rapidly. But I also look at people that talk about shutting the economy down for three to six months. Like it's just no big deal that we can have the government fund everything for three to six months. And I look at that side of it and I think it's a little bit extreme. The way that these discussions usually work out is if you express any concern for the economy, any concern for the amount of damage that's going to be done to the economy with a prolonged shutdown, there's people that take that to mean you don't care about the virus, that you're not taking the virus seriously, that you don't care about the human toll with the virus of it killing people. That's not the case here. That's not what's happening here. If you have genuine concern for the economy, you can also be concerned and fully realize the potential damage from the virus. You can hold both of those concerns at once. They both can be weighted in once. In fact, it would be crazy to only look at one of those things, to only look at either the economy or to only look at either the virus. If you're only focused on the virus and only focused on saving lives, that is a crazy position. Take this, for instance, you have the epidemiology professor saying three plus months shelter in place all the way through June, right? And it might go on longer than that. He might say four months. My question to him would be, why not six months? That would probably save more lives, right? If we just kept the economy shut down for six months. In fact, why not a year? Why don't we shut the economy down for one year? That would probably save the maximum amount of lives. Oh, you think that's too long? That might damage the economy? Well, you don't care about saving lives. You don't want to keep the economy shut down for a year, which would be the best way to save the most amount of lives. Obviously, that's a ridiculous stance. If we shut the economy down for a year, yes, it would save more lives, but it would completely destroy our economy. So anybody that's on the side of only focusing on the virus, when you have that admittance that shutting down the economy for a full year is too long, they have admitted That there's more than one concern here. There's more than one thing to weigh. If shutting down the economy for an entire year is too long, you have already admitted that there's more than just the virus to be concerned about. So we know we've established that both of these things need to be part of the conversation, that they both need to have weight in the decision here. That we have the economy, which is very important to people's lives, and we have the virus, which is a big problem we're facing right now. The decision is is the risk-reward. What is the best trade-off? We obviously can't swing it to the side where we're shut down for a year and we completely destroy the economy beyond repair. That wouldn't be a good move to do. And we can't try to open up the economy too soon, which would cause a peak amount of deaths with the virus, and it would cause people to not have the motivation to go out and shop. So somewhere in there, there's the right time to open things up, where we do Minimal amount of damage to the economy as possible while saving the most amount of lives and having the economy open in a way where people have confidence to go out and shop. So I don't know the perfect balance there. I don't know when to open back up the economy. I'm assuming that we'll try to do what other countries have, where we have to wait for it to peak. We have to wait for the curve to start flattening and the cases to start declining. And then we wait a little bit longer to make sure we don't reverse the decline. We'll get to that point. We'll listen to the health officials and when they think that we can have at least a partial resume of economic activity. What I don't think will happen is I don't think this will last five or six months. I just don't think our country can handle that type of economic decline. If we push it that far, my portfolio going down in value, I think will be the least of our concerns. I think that we'll do irreversible damage to the economy. So my assumption in investing right now is that there's a couple months where we quarantine, we get the virus under control, and then we start to partially resume economic activity when it's on the decline. That's basically the premise of my investing right now. If this is something where we are quarantined for six months, I might be wrong and I'll lose value in my portfolio. But if that is the case, I think I will have much bigger concerns then my portfolio value declining. I think there'll be a lot bigger issues to face if we're in quarantine for six months. A says, Hey, Joe, been watching your YouTube show religiously for months now. You're doing a phenomenal job. I appreciate that. says, While I'm personally an index fund investor, I love hearing your thoughts and commentary on the market. Your optimism is a stark contrast to all the panic being thrown at us left and right. Two things. One, if you were going to invest in index funds, I'm personally a fan of Vanguard's, at this point in time, which would you pursue for reliable dividends? Two, your bit on Congress needing to work five grueling days in a row made me laugh the hardest I have in weeks. I was losing it. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks for the message, A, and glad that you enjoyed that bit on me sarcastically thanking Congress. That's what it was a couple of days ago. Uh, they worked five days on a bill for us, and they really wanted a pat on the back for doing that. These people that work... One of the most cushy, high-paying jobs that exists. Now, your actual question, you say, if you're going to invest in index funds, you're personally a fan of Vanguard's, at this point in time, which would you pursue for reliable dividends? Normally, I've looked at SPHD. I thought that it has a good way of looking at companies. It tries to backtest them for volatility, but I've not been happy with the performance. It just has not performed well as an ETF. So so I've actually shifted my Roth IRA from SPHD to SCHD. This is an ETF by Schwab. It is the Schwab U.S. Dividend Equity ETF. It has higher quality companies with a bigger focus on ones that can sustain their dividend. And it has a very compelling starting yield. The starting yield is about 4% on it. So this is one where it's done really well during this downturn. It has a 4% starting yield. And the companies in it, which it holds about 100 companies, they're all really high quality companies. I've looked through the list of them, and I really like the holdings that it picks. So I think it's a very solid ETF. On top of that, SPHD has a pretty high expense ratio, as a 0.3 expense ratio, and Schwab's SCHD has a 0.06% ratio. So that's one to look at there if you're looking for sustainable dividends in an ETF. And I do hold it now in my Roth IRA. All right. Well, that's going to be all the questions for this episode. I'll be doing another one this weekend. So if you have more questions, be sure to email. You can message me on Twitter or Instagram. I look at those as well. Or you can just leave comments in the video. I I view those as well. But I hope everybody stays safe. Stay inside. Watch lots of Netflix. I have to finish the Tiger documentary. That's been a pretty interesting experience watching that documentary. I have a couple more episodes. So I'm going to go ahead and watch that. You guys have a good one. I'll talk to you this weekend.